Hey, this is something that the Lord has been uh, stirring in me and uh, brewing in me for um, quite some time, and so I'm excited about the Word today, and I believe that it has transformational power in your life if you uh, receive it um, in your life. If you're ready to receive it, say, I'm ready. All right, we're going to jump right into it. If you've got a, a copy of the scriptures, we're going to be in James chapter 1 today. So I'm going to jump right into the text. And we're going to be in James chapter 1. We're going to look at this short introduction to this book in James 1, beginning in verse 2, and then walking through verse 4. So James chapter 1, uh, verses 2 through 4, and then we will, if you don't have a, 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 cop, a copy of the scripture or an app, uh, we'll put the verses on the screen for you. This is, this is what the scriptures say. James says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles, somebody say troubles, when troubles of any kind come your way, this is a revolutionary thought, consider it an opportunity for great joy. How many of you just want to walk out of the room right now? I mean, just like, come on, man. Consider, consider it an opportunity for great joy, for great joy. Joy, and he says this in verse 3, 4, you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Verse 4, so let it grow, so let it grow, so let it grow, let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing Nothing. Needing nothing. Here's, here's the title for today. It's this. Turning problems into progress. Turning problems into progress. Now let me catch you up a little bit on some of the context of where, who James is and why he's writing this and why this is important for you and me today. Just after the time of Christ, when Jesus would live and he would walk the earth in the first century AD for roughly uh, 30 years or so, and he would do his, his ministry for about three years or so, when Jesus would ascend and when he would leave the earth and he, when he would go back to the right hand of the Father, the church then moved forward. You know, our theme for this year, for this fiscal year, is moving forward. How many of you appreciated the message last Sunday, by the way, by Pastor Derek Delane, our, our guest, guest pastor from Nashville, Tennessee, Proclamation. Isn't that the coolest name of a church, by the way, Proclamation Church? And uh, it, it was amazing. His title, I didn't say this last Sunday, but his title was Moving Forward. And so I messaged him the, the week prior as he was leading up. I got his, I got his, his sermon outline and I said, hey, that's I love that you're going to fit the, the sermon title with the theme for the, the year. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, you didn't know that this was our theme for the, he's like, no, I didn't know this. Um, I said, yeah, our theme for this fiscal year, it's, it's, it's moving Forward, it's moving forward. Jesus would ascend to the right hand of the Father. He would leave the 12 disciples and a few others in charge, uh, responsible for doing this whole thing called the church. And one of the early church leaders in the city of Jerusalem was a man named James. James, we saw back in our series on Church on the Move, he was in a few chapters in the book of Acts, and James was responsible. He was essentially the shepherd, he was essentially the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, which was an extremely strategic a church in a city that had been really the center of operations for God's people for centuries and centuries and centuries. And James was the one who was responsible for this church in the city of Jerusalem for roughly the next two decades after the time of of Christ. 
And James was writing into a context, and he had been leading a church in a context where there was significant challenge, where there were trials, where there were troubles, where there were hardships. And James knew what it meant to be a pastor, to be a shepherd, and try to help people navigate hard things in life. And there was a famine that happened, and there was persecution against the church. And James, the book of James, is considered really what the Proverbs are to the Old Testament, James is to the New Testament. And James writes as a pastor and a shepherd, not primarily as a theologian, but really as a shepherd to people, helping you and I understand how to navigate the things that we face in life and really what faith looks like um, on the ground floor when the rubber hits the road. And, And James is speaking to a group of people, a group of Christians who have had to figure out how to endure uh, significant hardship and change and problems and adversity. I love what he says in the beginning in verse 2. Look at verse 2 again with me. He says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles, somebody say when. He doesn't doesn't say if, does he? He says, when troubles of any kind come your way. Here's what we know about life. Life is a journey. Life is a journey, and for most of us, where we are today isn't how we teed it up to be originally, is it? This, is, this isn't exactly what your plan was. This, is, this isn't what you, how you designed it. This isn't how you set it up. This isn't how you structured it to be. And, and here's what we know about life. James says, when troubles, when, when problems, when, when trials, when challenges come your way, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Here's, here's my first point if you're, if you're taking notes. Here's number one. Problems are automatic. <laughs> Problems are automatic. Do anybody realize you don't have to try to have problems? Like you don't know, none of us wake up in the morning and be like, man, I'm trying to figure out how I can have some problems in my life today. Um, problems just happen. They, they just happen. Like, it, it, you know, you, you, you try your best, you try your, your darndest to avoid problems and challenges in life, but guess what? They just come. They just come, and some of them are um, self-induced. Some of them are, are a responsibility of your actions, and some of them aren't. But the reality of whose fault it is or who caused them, all of us are going to face problems. Problems are automatic, and, and you can't avoid all your problems. You can't bypass your problems. They're coming whether you like it or not. And I've pastored long enough to know that I have no clue what kind of problems you might be facing today. I've pastored long enough to know that there are situations and things happening in people's lives that if you were aware of it would completely floor you. There is someone on your road today that if you knew what they were going through, it would completely floor you. And life brings us problems. Life brings us problems. And so James not only says when problems, when troubles of any kind come your way, he says at the end of verse 2, consider it an opportunity for great joy. 
So James says problems are automatic. Problems are coming. So you have to have a mindset about your problems. You have to go ahead and think and determine what you're going to do with problems. You're going to have to go ahead and have a mindset for what you're going to do facing the challenges and the struggles that you face. And he says you need to have a mindset. He says consider it an opportunity for great joy. This word here consider in in the Greek, it, it literally can be translated to lead. It can be translated to think or to believe. Uh, James is essentially saying, you've got to figure out what you're going to do with your situation. You've got to figure out what you're going to believe in that situation. You've got to lead in that situation. So consider this problem. Consider this struggle. Consider this challenge. Consider it an opportunity. Think to yourself, think to yourself, the, 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 hardest, your, the greatest problem, the hardest challenge you've had um, in, in the last six months. James would say, consider that problem an opportunity. I don't know about you. I mean, you know, you, people think pastors are like super Christians. Um, I don't think about my problems that way. I, I don't, um, I, I, I often don't, don't consider, well, bless God, this is a wonderful opportunity. To, uh, <laughs> that doesn't just naturally happen uh, to, to me, and it won't naturally happen to you. When, and, if, and if it did naturally happen to you, then James wouldn't have had to write this, all right? The reason that James had to write, James had to write this is because this isn't easy. This, is, this isn't natural. This, this is supernatural. This is, you got to take your natural, and as Pastor Chris says, you got to overlay it with your supernatural. You, you got to take what you're, you're facing, and you got to do something with it. And so we see, first of all, that problems are automatic, but here's the second point. Problems are automatic, but progress is not. Progress is not. Just because you face a problem doesn't mean that you're going to have progress because of that. Just because you walk something through something that's hard, just because you face something that's challenging, that doesn't automatically mean that you're going to progress through it. Which means it's an opportunity. Problems are an opportunity. And you must decide what you're going to do with your problems. Can I say it this way? Progress is a decision. Progress is a decision. If it wasn't a decision, James wouldn't have to, to say that. I've got to face my problems and make a decision. What am I going to do with this? What is this an opportunity for? Is this an opportunity for joy? Is this an opportunity to get bitter? Is this an opportunity to get mad at my spouse? Is this an opportunity to get mad at the TV and the news and all the things that are happening? Or is this an opportunity, potentially, for joy. It's about how you perceive and how you view your problems. I couldn't help but think of the Lord Jesus whenever I was walking through this. In Hebrews 12.2, it would say this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know the greatest hardship ever in the history of the world um, isn't what you're going through right now. It was what Jesus Christ had to go through. Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, Son of God, came to earth. 
entered human history, took on human flesh. He lived the life that you could not live, a life of perfection and moral perfection to the law. Then he died the death that you should have died. He went to the cross that was meant for you, and then he conquered the grave that you could not conquer. And on the cross, Jesus Christ endured unbelievable shame, unbelievable agony, unbelievable pain. And the physical pain wasn't the worst part. The worst part was the emotional pain of seeing his father turn his face away. And Jesus, in that moment, in the hardest situation, the hardest challenge, the hardest trial in the history of the world, he decided it was an opportunity for joy. Because he knew that it was through that problem, through that challenge, through that trial that was going to help him accomplish the good news, the great news of saving you and me. And for the joy that was set before him, He endured the cross, despising its shame. See, for you and I, problems in life are automatic, but progress is not. You've got to consider what to do with your problems. Consider what to do with your challenges. I'll say it this way. The quality of your life will be determined not by avoiding problems, but enduring them. See, for for you and I, we've got to decide that problems are an opportunity and we're not going to be able to avoid every problem, but problems are going to be an opportunity for us to to do something, to, 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 to endure them. What if we began to view our problems as opportunities? What if you began to view the challenge and the trial and the struggle and the hardship as an opportunity? Um, listened to a podcast um, a, a few months ago, might have been a year or so ago. Um, I listened to Craig Rochelle's leadership podcast. Anybody a fan of Pastor Craig Rochelle, Life Church, Oklahoma? Um, what what a, I don't know him personally, but um, extremely impacted by his ministry and his leadership. Listen to every podcast that he has put out, um, probably multiple times. And um, I love one of his podcasts where he calls himself, he refers to himself as the CPS. The CPS, and he says that stands for the Chief Problem Solver. He said for years and years in his ministry, he tried to figure out how to get everything just tightened up just right where he could avoid problems. And then at some point in his ministry, he realized that he was never going to be able to get to a point where he was going to be able to avoid problems. And he realized when he looked back on his problems, the things that he learned and went and how he grew through those problems actually created him, or created something in him that was ready for something even greater and more impact in his life. He says, so now I'm the chief problem solver. So when a problem comes, I'm like, I'm going to solve this thing. I'm I'm going to face this thing. And it's not going to be pleasant. It's going to be painful. It's going to be hard. But I'm seeing this. I'm viewing this problem now as an opportunity for my own growth and for greater impact. And James says, you've got to consider this. You've got to make a decision on what you're going to do with the problems that you face. And then he says this, and look with me at verse 3. In verse 3, James, James says, For you know that when your faith is tested, in your endurance has a chance to grow. I kind of want to say, I'd prefer not to have the chance to grow, okay? I mean, I would prefer, anybody feel that way? I mean, I'd kind of prefer just to stay exactly where I am. I don't really need the chance to grow. But James says that 
the problems that you face and the troubles that you grow through, act, or go through, actually, I almost made a point there. What you, you don't have to just, I just made a point right there, accidentally. It's not about going through it, it's about growing through it. Um, and James says, I, I now have a chance, I now have an opportunity to grow because of, my, of what I am facing. So I'll say it this way, problems are an opportunity for progress. They're an opportunity for progress. And your greatest path to progress might just be through your problems. And that's why, allow, that's, that's why God allows us to face problems. That's why God allows us to endure problems. Does God have the ability, does he have the power to save you from all of your problems in your life? Yeah, of course he does. He, he can do that easily. I mean, you have to think about it. I mean, you just snap his fingers and, and all your problems would be gone. But God knows if he stopped your problems, he'd also stop your progress. And God sovereignly and providentially chooses and allows for you to experience the problems that you are going through. And so here's what we know. Problems produce something. Problems produce something. And James is basically saying, you're the one that gets to decide what your problems are going to produce. And, and so we, we often think that, you know, I don't have any control of my circumstances, or I don't have any control of what happens to me, or I don't have any control of this or that. And there is, there is a reality that you, you, there are many things that are out of your control, but the scriptures tell us there's only one thing that you're supposed to control. You know what that is? Self. The scriptures call that self-control. We've been talking about the self a lot over the past few weeks or so, over the course of the, the summer. You know, there's only one thing that you're supposed to control. That is self Self, self, self-control, which means we get to decide what our problems are going to do in us based on how we're going to face these, how we're going to endure these, what we're going to allow God, what we're going to allow the spirit of God to do in us as we're walking through this thing. We get to decide and problems are an opportunity for our progress. And if God was done with your progress, he would also be done with your problems. And God is producing something in you that you don't have yet that you need in your life. This, this week I was thinking about my own journey and my own story of, um, some of you may know this or may not, I, I mean, all of you know, I, I, I'm from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, Dirty Myrtle, grew up in Myrtle Beach. Um, and I, Wilmington, like, I love Wilmington because it's a similar city. It's a coastal city. Um, it's, it's a great city. I, I think Wilmington is like if, if, if Myrtle Beach went to grad school, I feel like that's what Wilmington is, you know, it's, um, um, and, um, I can, I can say that because, because I'm from, I'm from Myrtle Beach. Um, when I was in middle school, uh, part of my story is we, my dad uh, planted a church, my, so my dad's a pastor, and my dad planted a church, he started a church in, uh, in Myrtle Beach when I was in middle school. So nowadays, um, nowadays, like church plan, like church planning is never easy, just for the record. Like starting a new church from scratch, that's like never easy. Um, and I've said this before, but you, every church in the history of the world at one point was new. It was a church plant. Um, 
And so, so us, our, our church is eight years old. There's no such thing as, as an easy church plant. But, but nowadays, um, it's kind of like a thing, you know? You got some books and resources and conferences. You got networks. You got whole conventions and things that are related to this. You can kind of like do Cadillac church planting, I'll call it. You know, there's like some resources. There's a way that you can do it. When we planted a church in the 90s, in, when I was in middle school, we didn't have Cadillac church planting. All right, this, this, was, this was hard. Um, there wasn't a whole lot of resources. There, there weren't a lot of dollars. Um, there wasn't a lot of partnerships, support, um, but my dad felt called, my family felt called to plant this church in, in Myrtle Beach, and it literally, um, for the first few months of this thing, was like a scraping pennies just to try to get by. I've told the story of when we moved to Myrtle Beach, there was a school, there was a, a local Christian school that um, we had developed a relationship with, and they said, well, I mean, we've got a we got this house that's kind of on the back of the property, and it's, it's, it's small, but you, you, you could use it for um, a couple months or however long you need to. And we had a, a house, I think, that was in the works or getting built or something like that. And so we stayed at this property in the, the back of this school facility, and it was a single-wide trailer that it felt like it was 100 years old. I mean, this thing, single-wide trailer, and literally, I'm not lying when I say this, my bedroom floor had a hole in it, and I could see the ground through my floor and me and my two brothers shared this 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 room together and we we're like what are we gonna do about this hole <laughs> so my mom found a rug we're like we'll just put a rug over it that's how poor I mean that's how poor we're like our solution to holes in the floor is like a rug you got a, anybody got a mat somewhere we roll this thing over and and I didn't realize it at the time but ha having to not having hardly anything not having any real luxuries or resources and having to, uh, to walk through challenges over those first couple years or so, I look back at that season and then realize God was producing something in me to prepare me for this season. There was something that God was doing in me that I didn't have in me as a high school kid that needed to be put in me to be able to go where God wanted me to go. There was some grit that needed to be added to my life. There, there was some perseverance. There was some endurance, as James would, James would say, that would need to grow in me. And your problems are an opportunity for progress. And James says that through these challenges that you have a chance to grow you have a chance to grow. And so here's, here's, here's what else this means. What we see as a setback, God sees as a setup. What we see as a setback, God sees as a setup. And when, when we're walking through the hardest challenges of life, the most painful things that we can experience, and it feels like we're going backwards. Anybody ever felt like you're going backwards? It feels like you're going backwards. It feels like there's no hope. It feels like there's no purpose in this situation. And what often looks like us to a setback is actually God's setup for what he wants to do in our lives. That he's positioning us and preparing us for what lies ahead. And God is in the business of turning your problems into progress. That's why he's doing what he is doing. And that's why he has left us here because he's got work to do in and through us. And we want to change the world as a church. We talk big, we, we talk big as a church. The Bridge Church, I mean, we got like big faith. And we, we talk about changing our city. We talk about changing our world. But before God can change the world, he's got to change us. And one of the main ways that he's going to change the world is when he changes us. And so God has left us here. He could have snatched you up to heaven the moment that you got saved, but he left you here because there's something else that he needs to do in and through you. 
And if God chose to leave us here, there must be something here and now that is necessary for us to experience. You ever found it interesting that um, Jesus said that it was necessary for him to go, but not necessary for us to go? <laughs> Jesus, 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 after he was done with his earthly ministry, he ascended back to the Father, but then he left the disciples here. He, he left us here, and I think part of the reason for that, the reason that he left us here is because there was something else that needed to happen in and through us. And if we recognize that God is sovereign over our situation and that God is allowing us to experience what we experience for our own good and for our own betterment, that means we can be begin to believe that life is not happening to us, life is happening for us. That we're not victims of this life, as hard as it might be and as painful as it might be. But this, this life is an opportunity that God is using, that God is doing something in and, in and through us to make us what he wants us to be. And then, and then James, the final verse in verse 4, he, he ends this way and he says, So let it grow. So let it grow. I came here to tell somebody today, let it grow. What God is trying to accomplish in you, what God is trying to do in you, let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. I love this about God is that he meets you where you are, but he doesn't leave you there. He meets you where you are. You don't have to clean up yourself before, before God. The gospel is not you make yourself clean and then God loves you. The gospel is God loves you, then he makes you clean. That's the good news of the gospel. God meets you where you are. He accepts you for what you have, all your sin, all your shame, all your past, all your pain, everything that you bring to the table. God meets you where you are, but he doesn't leave you where you are, does he? He doesn't leave you where you are. He is in the process of doing something in you, growing you until you become the perfect and complete version of yourself. God never stops working on you, not until you're in glory with him. But until then, you're in process. Tell your neighbor, look at, look at somebody say, you're in process. You're in process. And this is, this is like, this is the beauty of the Christian life. Um, Christians are supposed to be the most humble people in the world. Um, recognize that we didn't deserve God. We didn't earn God. We, we didn't deserve a second chance. But God was gracious to us. He was merciful. He gave us what we didn't deserve. And then he didn't give us what we did deserve. He's a great God. He's, he's so, it should make Christians the most humble people on the planet. Where we recognize that God is doing a work in me. I'm in process. I'm not where I need to be. Somebody say, I'm not where I need to be, but I'm on the way. I'm on the way. God's doing something in me. Somebody needs to hear today. You're on the way. You're on the way. Yes, you're not perfect. Yes, you're not complete. Yes, you're not whole yet, but you're on the way. And that's the beautiful process. The process isn't a life of perfection. The process is a life of progress, of taking steps and becoming what God wants you to become. And James says, until you get to the state where you are perfect and complete. <laughs> I had to look up these words. I'm like, perfect, that's a pretty bold, that's a pretty bold word. Um, 
These, this, these two words in, in the Greek, perfect and complete, um, they actually are extremely similar. And kind of the, the root, if you get back behind it, it, it means wholeness. It means, it means fullness. That there's a version of yourself that God is working on that's whole. That's full. That's, that's com- complete. And he says that God is working in you to become what you want to become so that you can be a version of yourself. Why? So that you can make an impact to the people who are around you. So that you can make a greater impact to the people who are around you. I'll, I'll, I'll say it this way. I think this is my last point. The greater the problem you overcome, the greater your impact to the world. The greater the problem you overcome, the greater the impact to the world. Did you know that the greatest leaders, the greatest doctors, the greatest surgeons, the greatest educators, the greatest faith leaders have all figured out how to overcome problems? They've, they've all figured out how to make the world a place where it's a little bit better, where people can be helped, people can be served, uh, People can be impacted. So whatever problem you're facing right now, recognize that this is just one step on your journey to progress. And if you can figure out how to overcome this problem, that doesn't mean that you're done with all of your problems. If you can figure out how to overcome this problem, that means that you're in a better position to make an impact on the people who are around you. It means that you're just being positioned for an even greater problem that's on the way. And you're like, I don't want to hear that, Pastor Ethan. If you can overcome, if you through the power of God and the spirit of God in you can overcome what you're facing, can have endurance to persevere and to make it through, then you will be positioned and primed for just another problem that will prepare you for even making a greater impact to the people who are around you. So how do you view your problems? How are you going to consider your problems. Do you know who had the greatest impact ever on the world? It's a church answer. Jesus. But why did Jesus have the greatest impact? It's because he overcame the greatest problem. The greatest problem in the history of the world is not your Wi-Fi going out this afternoon. It's not you cracking your screen on your iPhone. The greatest problem in the history of the world is your sin that's a cancer inside you that separates you from the Father. That, that, that is through your whole being. That infiltrates every part of you that can only be removed not by trying harder, but by something outside yourself that can give you atonement and forgiveness and cleanse that away through Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ went to the cross for your sin and my shame, and when he rose from the grave, he solved the world's greatest problem. And that's why he's the greatest leader who's ever lived. Not because he was, had, had good parables or good principles. It's because he figured out how to serve the most amount of people possible. The scriptures would say in 2 Corinthians 5, 
21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross despising its shame and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Church, I came here to tell you today that your problem is not the most important thing about you. Your problems are not the most important thing about you. Your progress is more important. Who you're becoming and where God is taking you in the journey that you are on, which means even in the midst of life's hardest challenges, you can endure and come out on the other side who God wants you to be. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, today we are so grateful for the word today. We're so grateful for the opportunity. We're so grateful for we're so grateful for the ability to become what you want us to become and to to navigate life's hardest challenges. And Father, for the person in the room today that feels like they don't have any hope, feels like they can't go any further, feels like the thing in front of them is impossible, remind them today that you are the God of the impossible. And you can do the impossible of turning that problem that we are facing into progress in our lives. And so, Father, this we submit to you in Jesus' name. Amen.